2 Corinthians chapter 10, now is not the time to live in fear. It is the time to live in wisdom. It's a time to live in wisdom, and that's exactly why we take these measures to create and maintain a healthy environment for the body of Christ to come and receive the Word of God. Because we don't want to retreat, we want to advance as a church. If, if there was ever a time where the church had a responsibility to me, where the church had a responsibility to give an answer for hope, for the church to have a responsibility to, light their, to shine their light on this dark world, that would be today. We have a responsibility. And we know that as we're living for, in wisdom, we also realize that the greatest attack that Satan has against the church is to make them believe that we are not in spiritual war. The greatest attack that the enemy will use this against the church is to, to put us in bondage of fear. To put us in bondage now of, of not understanding that this is also a spiritual battle that we're facing. This is a spiritual battle that we're facing. And I've titled today's message, The Weapons of Our Warfare. Would you write that down? The Weapons of Our Warfare. Why? Because we're in a battle. And as we were studying this week, and I was just really reading and going over the passage of today of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, asking the Lord, Lord, are we going to pause here? Are we going to go to a special message? And the Lord said, no, continue that message because we are in a battle. And it's important to know the weapons of our warfare so that we can wage a good warfare. We have to know what kind of weapons we have so that we can fight a good fight. <laughs> we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And everything and anything that we do as Christians, as disciples, as believers, it is important that we wage a good warfare. Turn to your neighbor and say, wage a good warfare. We want to wage, we want to fight a good warfare. But before we get there, I want to remind you of three promises that get you through the trial. And I pray that you would write notes down, that you would jot down these notes next to your Bible, these verses. Because these three promises get you through the trial and through the darkest moments of panic in our lives. Our culture, our world, the media is completely in panic. And it's easy to become those people also that are in panic as we are focused with the voices of this world instead of focused with the voices of God. If you are in panic, I want to encourage you to turn the TV off, turn your phone off, and go into prayer. Open your Bible. Instead of opening the social media, open your Bible and read the promises of God and understand the promises of God that get you through the trials. You see, the number one promise of God that I want to remind you of is number one, the hand of God. The hand of God in Isaiah 41 verse 10. Please write this down, the hand of God. What does Isaiah now encourage the church through this prophecy of what the Lord is speaking? He says, fear not, Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. Don't be discouraged, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now that's amazing as we read it because the Lord tells us here, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you and I'm going to uphold you. You know what that means? God is going to give you strength in this time. God is going to give you help in this time. And God's going to give you support in this time. I will uphold you. I will support you with my righteous right hand. The promises of God. The hand of God. The number two promise of God that I want you to remember during this time is the power of God. You have, the, the, God has promised us His power. What it was the entire retreat on this last few days? The power of God, the dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. dunamis. No, everybody say dunamis. dunamis. The power of God. You know that God has made that power available to you? That that same power, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, is available to you. Just like the hand of God is here to protect, just like the hand of God is here to provide, 
And just like the hand of God is here now to demonstrate His power. And it's important that we realize the hand of God that gives us power. You understand that? And that it gives us providence. A lot of people are freaking out. That we need to go buy things and this and that. But we have to understand, if the hand of God, if I'm in the hand of God, do I not realize that He is going to provide for me? If I'm in the hand of God, do I not realize that He has a providence in His hand, that He has power in His hand, that He also in His hand has protection in His hand? But what does He say about His power? In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Notice here that the key word here is spirit. It is His spirit. The Spirit of God, the dunamis of God, is not a one of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has given you a spirit of power, of dunamis, of love, and of a sound mind. This means that when I read this promise, I can walk in confidence. I can walk in boldness. I don't have to walk in fear because God has given me a spirit. His Holy Spirit is a spirit of dunamis. His Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit that also controls my mind. And did you know that that's where spiritual warfare begins and in the mind? The Spirit of God gives me power, gives me love, and a sound mind. Not a fearful mind, not an anxious mind, not a worried mind, a sound mind. And if you want to wage a good warfare, you must have the mind of Christ. If you want to wage a good warfare, you must have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is given to us by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. But the number three promise that I want you to remember as we know that we're living by faith and not by fear, that God has made His dunamis power available to us. And I love that because you're reminded that you're not empowered by self. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're not empowered by self. The third promise is the promise of the presence of God. The promise of the presence of God. What was it that we just heard a few moments ago? Joshua 1.9. It says this, Have I not commanded you? Have I not told you? Have I not asked you? Be strong and courageous. Those are God's promises. Those are God's exhortations. Be strong and courageous or of good courage. Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God, here it says, is with you wherever you go. In every place. In every season. The Lord your God is with you. And notice who he's telling this to. He's telling this to young Joshua. A man that needed encouragement because he was going to step into a situation where he would gain responsibility and needed encouragement. Leadership always inspires courage. I don't know about you, but when I heard that our president gave us now or instituted National Day of Prayer, it inspired some courage in me. It inspired some courage in me as a church. Because I knew that the churches all across our nation would be interceding and that gave me courage to move forward. You see, leadership is encouraged. But panic is contagious. How many of us realize that throughout these last few days, we've realized that panic is contagious. But let me tell you what else is contagious. Leadership is also contagious. And both of them are a choice. I pray that you choose leadership in the next coming days. That you would not choose panic because panic is contagious. And, and we need men and women that are leaders and that are pointing people to Jesus Christ in a time of crisis. It should not scare us. You know what scares me more? Not, the, not a virus, not a situation like that, not a crisis, because we've had those before. We've had many crises. But what should scare us is the response of the church. <laughs> the fear in the church. Because it tells us the temperature of the people of God. It tells us the spiritual condition of the church. That should, that, that should tell us that we are, in fact, living in, in troublesome and perilous times, in last days' times. 
Because of the way that the, the church is responding now. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I love what Paul is going to encourage us about because he's going to tell us, you're in spiritual warfare. We are in spiritual warfare. And in order to now come out in spiritual warfare victorious, we must be dressed or we must wear, we must know what are those spiritual weapons. From verse 1 and 2, he tells us, about our boldness in spiritual warfare. You can have boldness today in spiritual warfare. Our boldness in spiritual warfare. From verses 3 and 4, he tells us our weapons in spiritual warfare. I don't know about you, but if I ever go to war, I better know what my weapons look like. I better know how to use those weapons. I better be armed with those weapons. I better know how to disarm that weapon, clean my weapon, my forearm. I better be ready now. The weapons of our warfare, spiritual warfare. And then number three from verses five and six, he talks about our strength in spiritual warfare. So today as we meet and open God's word, we should know the boldness in spiritual warfare that we have. The weapons in spiritual warfare that are available to us. And also the strength in spiritual warfare that's available to us. What does Paul tell Timothy? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Why is it that we need to know the boldness? the weapons and the strength, so that we can wage a good warfare. So we can fight the good fight. You want to fight a good fight. You want to wage a good warfare. We must know the boldness, the weapons, and the strength. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We thank You, Lord, that today we can meet. We thank You, Lord, that today, God, You have made this place available to us so that we can open Your Word. And we ask, Lord, that we would wage the good warfare. Thank you because you have reminded us this morning about the promises of your hand, about the promises of your power, and about the promises of your presence. I pray, Lord, that we would hold on to those, that we would cling to those, and that we would not let those go. Thank you, God, because you've given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Lord, thank you because you said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We thank you, Lord, because you said that you were going to strengthen, Lord, help us and uphold us with your righteous right hand. You will be our support. And I pray, Lord, that these would not only be words, but these would be promises that we live by. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said... Our boldness in spiritual warfare. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 10 verse 1 it says, Now I, Paul, he doesn't want you to be confused as to who's saying this. After moving from a, two chapters of generosity, he's going to go into the subject of spiritual warfare. And it says, Now I, Paul. And he, and he tells us this, I myself am pleading. It is me who is pleading. It is me who is appealing, who is exhorting, who is longing, who is desiring here. It's I, myself. This is coming from me. We know the leadership, the authority here that Paul is now wanting to exercise so that the church can benefit from this spiritual now exhortation. That they would receive it. I pray that we would receive this today too. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now how is it that Paul is giving us an example now in how we ought to not only exhort, but also how we ought to lead, also how we ought to enter spiritual warfare. He's saying, I'm coming to you, appealing, longing, exhorting now, and I'm doing all of this with a gentleness and with Kindness. I want you to underline meekness and gentleness in your Bible. Because th these are the characteristics. This is the character and the approach of Christ. The same approach and the same character that Paul was displaying here now in verse 1 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. I, I plead with you, I appeal with you with meekness and with gentleness. 
What an approach that we as Christians get to display during this time. We get to display boldness and we get to display compassion at the same time. And it starts with meekness and gentleness. The attitude that Paul had was the same attitude of the attitude of Christ. Humility, kindness, gentleness, the attitude of having patience with one another. You know what meekness means to have patience with one another, to endure with one another? And here he's saying this because he's responding to unfair treatment. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't become impatient. In fact, he uses this opportunity of being accused unfairly as a platform now, the situation as a platform to display the fruits of the Spirit. Now, do you see how during this time we can use the platform that we have today to display the fruit of the Spirit, to display the attitude of Christ? Because in Galatians 5.22, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit gives us peace, joy, comfort. And these are the very same fruits now that Paul is displaying to the church. An attitude of meekness and an attitude now of here gentleness. That's the approach. Now let's continue reading verse 1. It says here, gentleness of Christ. Who in presence am lowly among you. But being absent and bold towards you. Now I know, church, that you think that you believe that when I am present, when I am with you physically, I know that you realize that you think that I'm bold towards you, that I'm very courageous, that I'm very straight on, that I don't sugarcoat anything. But then when I'm away, uh, you know, I, that's when I really write those things. But when I'm in person, he's saying, I know that you realize that I'm soft and a little bit more gentle. And he's wanting to give them now a, a motivation. He wants to give them a clear idea as to why he's doing these things. You know, it's possible to be humble and bold at the same time. And that's something that we ought to remind ourselves because here Paul is saying, you, you, you discredit me because you think that I'm only bold when I'm away from you and when I'm writing these letters. But when I get close to you, you start to think that, you know, oh, look, he's really soft. He's kind of scared because now he's in person. <laughs> Have you ever met someone, maybe even today in our social media world? That everyone wants to give an opinion over online, but then when they get in person, they don't want to say anything. They're so gentle and meek and soft and everything's so cordial. But then, hey, when you're, you're online, you're like a different person. All of a sudden, you become tough. <laughs> and they're accusing Paul of that. Hey, Paul, when you're away, you're writing these crazy strict letters. But when you come now, you're all soft now. But here he's going to remind them that, that it is possible to exemplify and to have both. In the New Living Translation, he says this, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I'm timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. You see, he is living with boldness, with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says here in verse 2, But I beg you, I want you to realize what's really taking place. I beg you. What is he begging them with confidence now? Because he's being accused of being self-serving. He's being accused of, of false humility. What is it now that he's begging them? I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if he walked according to the flesh. Now he's being accused now here, Paul, in spiritual warfare of wanting a self-serving ministry. And he's saying, you know what, I, I really do intend to be bold towards some of you. You guys, you need that bold approach. Some, and I, I'd rather do it now in the letter than show up in person and have to have this conversation then. I'd rather address it in the letter now than have to wait to show up in person and address it and be bold in person. So I beg you to receive the instruction right now. You know, it's important that when we come to church, when we open our Bible, regardless of who the pastor is that is speaking, that we would receive the instruction. And here Paul is telling I beg you to receive the instruction now. And he's speaking with a confidence. He's rebuking them. He's saying, hey, I want you to receive the spiritual lesson here. Because I know that you think that I'm walking according to the flesh. But he's not walking according to the flesh. He said, I know that you think that I'm speaking with a human motive. I know that you're thinking that I'm speaking with my own agenda. 
But, but the, the spiritual way, the Jesus way here, is to humble yourself, is to die to yourself, and to let God show His resurrecting power through you, and that's how He handles every situation. He said, I know that you're accusing me, I know that you're coming against me, I know that there's a trial against me or before me, but even though there's a trial against me or before me, I can approach it with boldness, with confidence, and with meekness. See, these are the attributes that God wants us to display in moments of trial. The attributes of the Holy Spirit, which are boldness, but the attributes of the Holy Spirit that can also comfort and have compassion. You see how important this is for us today? This is here now the spiritual warfare that Paul is facing, but this also is the boldness in spiritual warfare that he has, the confidence that Paul has. In spiritual warfare, we can have confidence. Let's go here to verse 3, because after he's now realized, after he's, he's really made it clear that, that he is not walking according to the flesh. He doesn't walk with his own now agenda or motivation or, or self-serving idea. Now and from verse 3 and 4, he's going to tell us what weapons he's using to fight against these accusations. What weapons is he using to fight against this trial? What, what is it that he's using? What resources or methods or programs do you resort to in time of trouble? And I know that, that today, this week, and during this time, we are faced with time of trouble. But what methods do you resort to? What weapons do you go to? You see, when you know that you are in heavy spiritual warfare and someone is, is facing heavy attack, they're going to go to the best weapons possible. They're going to resort to those, the most effective weapons in that battle. The most effective weapons in spiritual battle here, Paul is going to tell us about. The weapons of our spiritual warfare. Verse 3, he says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Although I am human, although I am now walking according to this, this human nature... I'm not fighting according to a human nature. Do you see how he's fighting every earthly battle in a spiritual way? And for us as believers, every battle that we face, we must face it in a spiritual way. What is it, God, that you want to show us as a church? What is it, Lord, that you want us to lean on? He is fighting in the spirit. He is not fighting in the flesh. There are times in our life where we are facing spiritual warfare and the first thing that we want to do is we want to fight back in the flesh. <laughs> and the fruits of the carnality start to surface instead of the fruits of the Spirit. When you're tapped into the power of God, into the dunamis power of God, in the moment of trial, what would surface would be the fruit of the Spirit. And this is exactly what Paul is showing us. He's saying, I am not fighting this battle in a carnal, in a fleshly, in a natural, in a human way. I'm going to fight this battle. This is how I fight my battles in a spiritual way. I want to ask you, how do you fight your battles? How do you fight the battle you're fighting today? Do you fight it according to the flesh or do you fight it according to the spirit? He says, we don't war according to the flesh. We're human, but we don't war or we don't wage war as humans do. We fight a spiritual warfare now with spiritual methods. You are fighting a spiritual battle, therefore it requires spiritual methods, these battles. And this is exactly what he's going to tell us. What programs or methods do you use? Do you use the world's way to fight your spiritual battles? Do you use every recommendation that maybe someone that can give you to, to give you a temporary relief and a temporary now comfort? Or do you go now to the spiritual weapon, to the spiritual arsenal that God has made available to you through His power? We must know that. Because we're fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. This is the why, the how of what we can trust God, why we can trust God. Why can I trust God? Because He's giving me these spiritual weapons. How can I trust God? By now utilizing those spiritual weapons in my life. And I'm fully confident. Why am I fully confident? Why are you fully confident? Because the human resources are limited. 
every human resource, every fleshly resource, every carnal resource, it's limited. But your spiritual resources are unlimited. Our human resources will not get the job done. They may help. But the spiritual resources in spiritual warfare that we need are the ones that accomplish and they are the ones that give us the secret to victory. Do you want the secret of victory in spiritual warfare? He's about to tell us that right now from verse 3 and 4. It's an understanding, it's in knowing what and where your weapons are. You're battling maybe anxiety, discouragement, panic, fear. Where are your weapons? Do you use your weapons? When was the last time you, you were now dedicated to the weapons that God has given you? Now notice verse 4 it says, For the weapons of our warfare. I love this. You know, man, we love weapons. Right? And it's interesting to be able to see here that Paul is appealing to the weapons, instruments, the tools. What are weapons designed for? Weapons are designed for an offensive and defensive now work in the time of war. With weapons, you defend yourself. With weapons, also, not only do you protect, but with weapons, you also attack. <laughs> do you know that? That with weapons you protect and with weapons you attack. But also here, look what he tells in verse 4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not limited. They're not earthly. They're not physical. We are not trusting in earthly weapons. You know, it's so easy to be able to trust in an earthly voice, in an earthly weapon, in an earthly hope. But an earthly hope will never give you the comfort that you need through trial. An earthly hope will not meet the need in the time of despair. It is only now the living hope, the spiritual weapons, the unlimited resources that God gives us. Let's pay attention here in verse 4 because he says the weapons of our warfare are not limited. They're not fleshly. They're not carnal. We don't resort to that. It says, but mighty in God. It's important that we underline that in our Bibles because it says, but they are divinely powerful. What are the weapons of our warfare? How do they look? They are divinely powerful. Have you ever been impressed with something that's powerful? Well, just imagine something that is powerful because it has been divinely anointed by God. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful and they are mighty in God. They're not mighty because a company made them or they're not mighty because they have a recommendation or, or because someone with experience told you so you're going to use that advice. The best advice is to use the weapons of our warfare as, as mighty in God. Why do you need them to be mighty in God? Why can't they just be regular? Why can't the weapons of our warfare be that which how the, war, how the world also fights their battles? You see, he's making a distinction. He's making a separation that we as a church do not fight our battles the way the world fights their battles. And during this time and where we're fighting spiritual warfare, people ought to look to the church and say, see a peace because they're armed with weapons and their spiritual weapons to fight a spiritual battle. Say, I'm not fighting this battle as you think I may be or as I should be. I'm fighting this battle with weapons that are mighty in God. The New Living Translation says this, but we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down. I love this. Why, is it, why do they have to be mighty? Well, in verse 4 it says, Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The purposes of the weapon is to pull down, to knock down strongholds. To destroy a fortress, to destroy false arguments. He's going to say here, destroy false arguments of human reasoning and intellect and experience that you think you know. The, the, the spiritual weapons, that's what it does. It destroys strongholds. I don't know about you, but I have, we have realized that there is a stronghold of fear right now taking place. 
And the, the pandemic is not necessarily a virus, it's, it's fear. It's fear. Because if this was taking place and people had an answer, it would not be fearful. <laughs> the true pandemic is fear. Do you see here now that the strongholds that we must destroy with the spiritual weapons that God has given us is we ought to destroy the strongholds of fear. The strongholds of now pride. The strongholds of addiction. The strongholds of anxiety. The strongholds of bitterness. The strongholds of unforgiveness. The strongholds of division. What kind of strongholds are taking place in your life that need to be destroyed or knocked down? You see, in, in, in Corinth, now the city really was overlooking now, or, or there was a hill in Corinth that was overlooking the entire city. This hill was 1,857 feet high. This hill was on top. Now was a fortress on this hill. It was a big hill that everyone can see it now. It was overlooking Corinth. On top of this hill was a fortress. And Paul used the, the imagery now of this illustration to tell them, Hey, we're going to knock down those strongholds in spiritual warfare. We're going to destroy that stronghold and cast down towers now. And take away captives now that are in that fortress or that military place. The fortress, the towers. And any captives that are present the, that represent the arguments, the thoughts, and the plans now that we're opposing. Do you see how important it is for us to rely on the, the weapons of faith in God? What are you relying on today? Are you, are you relying on, in faith or are you relying on any other weapon? On a carnal weapon or on a spiritual weapon? This is a message of hope now. This is the, the, the weapons now that he is now talking to us as of now special weapons and tactics for the Christian. Well, do you know when there is a delicate, very sensitive situation now that the special weapons and tactics team has to come. And they are dressed in a, in a, in a very physical now, now uh, attire with special weapons to overcome the war at hand. Now this is exactly what Paul is telling us. To stand with a message of hope during a time of spiritual warfare. To stand now wearing the weapons. What are the weapons that we need? What is the secret to victory in the weapons that we use? The best weapons that we have been given is the weapon of prayer and the weapon of the Word of God. Those are our weapons. Are you utilizing those weapons? Why don't you just maybe place your uh, a note here in 2 Corinthians 10 and let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 because we are going to be told and encouraged here by the same man Paul as to how it is that we should be dressed for warfare. You see the soldier... And that which is and that person that is enlisted in the in the army uh, of God is dressed now in spiritual warfare. I'm going to ask you today: Are you dressed in the armor of God? What are you dressed in today? A lot of times we're we're panicking and we're thinking about how I'm going to be dressed with, and we dress ourselves up and we we take care of that that outer man and. And maybe we want to wear something that is new or something that gets someone's attention. But what about the inner man? Are you dressed now in spiritual attire? Are you dressed in the armor of God? That is the secret to victory. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10? Finally, my brethren, to the church, be strong in the Lord. Look at these words of encouragement. And in the power or in the dunamis of His might. It's His might, it's His power. Do you notice that it's not your might and not your power that you ought to stand in? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It is His might that you ought to be strong in. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole, every piece of the armor. It is very dangerous to go to war without armor. <laughs> and it is very dangerous for us as believers to step out of our home without armor. You know, a lot of times we step out and we face spiritual warfare and we get all beat up by the world. But it's for the reason, simple reason that we were not dressed in the armor, in the correct armor. 
And we start to borrow the attire or the armor of the world and we dress ourselves with something that does not exemplify, that does not give a nature of a born-again believer. It says here in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. When you do this, then you are able to what? To stand. There's a lot of Christians that need to learn how to stand. You are able to stand now against the wiles of the devil or against the attacks or against, this is the word, against the strategies of the enemy. You think that the enemy has any strategies against you? When you're a believer, you better realize that the enemy has some strategies against you. And therefore, I must put on the armor of God. That I may be able to defeat, overcome the strategies or the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. This is important. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Isn't that what he's telling us in Corinthians? We're not wrestling an earthly battle. But against principalities. Against powers. Against rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are fighting a very real spiritual battle that is filled with demonic activity as well. The ruler of this age, who's that? Say it. We as Christians are fighting a battle against the enemy. And if you want to win the battle, you have to know who the enemy is. The enemy is saying he's against us. That is the battle that we're fighting in. Verse 13, therefore, having been said that, with that being said, take up the armor of God. Take it up. I pray that today nobody leaves without it. They will be dressed in the armor of God. For what reason here? That you may be able, again, able. Your ability to stand against the enemy is not on your own power. Your ability and where you are able to stand against the enemy is based off whether or not you were dressed in the right armor. Are you dressed in the armor of the flesh or are you dressed in the armor of the Spirit? That you may be able to withstand or to resist. That you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand. Wow, isn't this amazing? That you may be able to resist in the evil day. This is the evil day. <laughs> There are evil days that come our way. There's spiritual warfare that come our day, our way. And it says here that you may be able to resist where in the evil day, having done all to stand. I want to ask you today, have you done all to stand? Have you have done all to stand during spiritual warfare? Now you realize what it means to do everything to stand. As we read verse 14, stand again, stand how many times have he used the word stand already? He's already told us the word stand in verse 13. Right? He's used stand in verse 11. Now he's going to use the word stand in verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. I'm not going to live my life in fear because I live my life in truth. I know the truth about God. And we're, we're living our life in truth. Having done all to stand. Put your... Now... Your waist now, gird your waist with truth. You know why he says waist and truth? Because your waist is what keeps your life in balance. You know what keeps your life in balance? Truth. What gives you healthy balance? Truth. Now this, let's read this. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate cover? It covers your heart as well. Put on the breastplate. Put on that, that belt of truth and then cover your heart. Gird yourself with truth and cover your heart today. Let's go on. Let's see what else he tells us to do. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And put on those boots as a soldier. Put your boots on. You ain't going to go out to warfare with no boots on. You will not do that. He says, you put on now, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In moments of warfare, you know what it's an opportunity for? For you to take the gospel to someone. We ought to use this, this, this situation that's taking place in our world as a way of saying, I'm putting my, um, my boots on for the gospel. 
And I'm going to be an agent of peace wherever I go during spiritual warfare. Because I can give people good news in a world filled with bad news. That's exactly what gospel means, good news. So the armor of God is about putting down those, now shotting your feet, putting on those, those boots now of preparing the gospel to go out in peace. Above all, verse 13, taking the shield of faith. Does it say take the shield of fear? <laughs> take the shield of faith. You know what the shield of faith does? It protects you. Your faith will protect you in the time of trial. Your faith. Your faith. Let's read this. Which will be able to quench or to destroy now all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The enemy is going to come and try to shoot at you darts. When you're alone with your someone, shoot at you darts. When you're listening now or watching TV, when you're on social media, the darts of the enemy. Maybe there's darts taking place around you in, a, in different situations of your life. And there are, you see those darts, but however, in spiritual warfare, you have the shield and those darts don't do anything to you. A lot of times we let the darts come into our mind, into our hearts, into every place of our life because we're not shielded now. Are you standing behind the shield? Or have you left your shield somewhere else? Get that shield now and stand behind it now so that you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. Look what it says here. The helmet of salvation. Now, what does the helmet do? What does it cover? It covers your mind. It covers your mind. Take the helmet of salvation that you know that you are salvation, that you know that you are a child of God. What does your salvation tell you? It tells you, I'm a child of God. I'm going to protect my heart and I'm protect my mind. These are the instruments, the weapons of our warfare. The mind, the waist, the heart, the feet, the mind. Let's keep reading. And it tells us this also. The fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. <laughs> this is awesome. You have a sword. Don't ever leave your sword at home. Wherever you go, take that sword. How are you able to defeat the enemy without the sword? How is it that you want to defeat spiritual warfare without the sword? Do you see how we need the sword? That's so important. It's, in fact, notice this. As you study the whole armor of God, the sword is the only offensive weapon that we have in the armor of God. It is the sword, the Bible. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the enemy, what did he use to defeat now the attacks of the wicked one? It is written, it is written, it is written. He was using the sword. Do you use the sword? Do you know how to maneuver and handle the sword? Do you know how to handle the sword? Do you know how to open the sword and, and, and use the sword, divide and, and take out the truth of the sword? Is your sword sharpened and ready for battle? Let's read on the next verse and what does he tell us? After using the sword, which is the word of God, praying now, verse 18, praying Sometimes. No. Praying always. The victory now, the secret to victory is that you would be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit now. Crying out to God and begging God and asking God in Spirit. Being watchful now to the end with all perseverance and all supplications for all the saints. National Day of Prayer. What are we to be doing? Praying. Praying, asking God, Lord, thank you for the truth. Thank you for the breastplate. Thank you for the preparation of the gospel. Thank you for the helmet of salvation, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sword of the Spirit, God. But also thank you because I get to utilize prayer in this situation. And look what it tells us here. You can be watchful in prayer. Vigilant. Vigilant that you are not asleep, that you are alert now. Are you alert the only way to be alert in spiritual warfare, it is when you are praying. Are you vigilant? Are you watchful? Are you alert? You see, the problem with this is that instead of using these weapons, we try to use the weapons of the world to fight a Christian battle. 
You can't use the weapons of the world to fight a Christian battle. And sometimes we admire those carnal, those, those weapons that the world uses and we want to identify and use those. Instead of wearing the belt of truth, we want to now fight with manipulation. <laughs> Instead of now using the breastplate of righteousness, we want to fight with the image of success or the image of experience. Instead of having shoes and those boots of the gospel, we want to fight with smooth words and admiration. There are times where instead of wearing the helmet of salvation, what we're doing is we're, we're lording and, uh, with authority and fighting in that way. Instead of using the sword of the Spirit, we fight with, with human schemes and programs. What are you fighting with? Because in order to fight the spiritual warfare, you must use the spiritual weapons and arsenal that God has given us. He has made it available to us so that we can fight our battles this way. What is the best method? What is God's best method? His best method is the armor of God. The word of God and prayer. Now let's read in verse 5 quickly. It says, we're going to cast down arguments. And every high thing. Notice this. This is the strength in spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. We're back at verse 5. The strength now that that armor gives us. The effects of that armor. He's going to tell us the effects of this armor. Look, I'm going to describe the armor now. After having described the armor, let me tell you what this armor can do. <laughs> That's when it gets exciting. Have you ever seen a movie and maybe seen, you know, a, a superhero or someone or a soldier now? And he has all this armor. And then when you start to find out what that armor can do, it gets exciting. <laughs> well, this is what your armor can do now here in verse 5 and 6. Your armor can cast down arguments. What's an argument? Something that is opposing. Opposing, that is resisting, that is coming against. Cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself. If we back up, we can even include strongholds. What does the armor do? It pulls down strongholds, number one. Write that down. My armor pulls down strongholds. Number two, my armor casts down arguments. My armor also, now, not only does it cast down arguments, but it also casts down every high thing that exalts itself. It casts down experience, worldly wisdom, it casts down pride, it casts down thoughts and perceptions that keep people away and against from knowing who God is. Do you see what your armor does? It exalts everything against the knowledge of God. Now hear this, casting down arguments are obstacles and strongholds in our lives. And that's exactly what the armor of God, it, it casts down any strongholds in our lives. Do you want the armor of God to cast down strongholds? But also, what does it do? It, it, it now casts down every high thing that exalts itself, any thought, any perception that keeps people away from knowing God. Anything proud, any obstacle that exalts itself against God and people knowing God, it exalts itself against that. Or any idea or, or experience of thinking that you have a better way against God's way, it casts that down as well. When someone thinks they're smarter or more sophisticated, more effective than the armor of God or than God's way, the armor of God will cast that down that there is any other option or any more powerful way than to fight our battles. There's no other powerful way. There's no carnal way that will win the battle against the armor of God. You see, there are certain strongholds in our life that only will come down with the armor of God. What strongholds are we using? How are we casting down arguments against anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? And then look at what it does here against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive. I want you to underline that because the thoughts today are just going free and they're going wild. Some people think, well, I don't want my thoughts to be captive. I want to be free thinking. I want to think whatever I want to think. No, the Bible says, bring every thought into captivity. Not only do you want to take down that stronghold, Guess what you want to do with everything that's in that stronghold? You want to take those captives and you know those thoughts captives of those that are in the stronghold. In the stronghold, there are captives in there. And he says, I want you to take your thoughts as if they were captives in that stronghold. When you take that tower down, that stronghold, 
take the captives as well. Those are your thoughts. Why is it that we ought to take our, captive, our thoughts captive? We ought to capture our thoughts because our thoughts can be rebellious. Rebellious against God's way. You see, we are to take our thoughts captives. Not only that, because we ought to teach our thoughts to obey Christ. This is the mind of Christ in spiritual warfare. Let's finish in this verse, verse 5. Every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. God has called you to take those thoughts captives. Maybe you're at home alone and you're battling with something, with fear, with anxiety, depression, whatever it would be. God's called you to take those thoughts and bring them captive. And say, I'm going to teach my thoughts. I'm going to hold my thoughts into captivity to obey God. To the obedience of God. I'm going to teach my thoughts to obey God. The reason why you need to have your thoughts captive is, number one, it's because you belong to someone else. <laughs> and your thoughts ought to honor God. You belong to someone else, and we will either serve Jesus with our thoughts, or we will serve the enemy with our thoughts. Who do you serve with your thoughts? Who are you serving with your thoughts? And second of all, if you're a Christian, you've been purchased by Christ. You are His possessions. That also means that His thoughts belong to you. He paid the price for you and for your thoughts. <laughs> that means that your thoughts, your mind should be God-honoring. Next week, we're going to talk about how in spiritual warfare, it's important to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ... I pray that today we would be dressed in the armor of God and that we would hold every thought captive. You know why a lot of people suffer with depression and anxiety? Yes, because maybe that is something that they battle with. However, what is the, the healthiest remedy for us to do even in times of trouble in our world today is to th hold every thought captive and, and make it obey the Lord. The renewing of the mind. This is what God has called you to do. Because I cannot wage a good warfare without holding my thoughts captive. I cannot fight a good fight without holding my thoughts captive. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, today, Lord, because although you're living in a time of crisis, Lord, we ask that crisis would not be the way that we identify it. We identify it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony. We pray, God, that You would allow us to be men, women, that are waging a good warfare, that are fighting a good fight, because they're dressed in the weapons that You have given us, Lord. 